Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio and I love all things tech. And it is time for a Tech Stuff Classic episode. This episode originally published on September 23rd, 2013. It is titled Videos in the Stream. That is what we are. So let's take a listen. There are a lot of different technologies out there that are all about streaming content over the Internet even, to your television or computer. Even YouTube, you could argue, is, is a oh, yeah. content provider. Oh, sure. Sure. I, I, can, I view YouTube all the time uh, when I'm at home. There's this great series I love to watch at home on my big television. It's called uh, Forward Thinking. It is amazing. The host is uber, uber hot. And so I watch that uh, all the time at home on my big television. And it's great. I mean, you know, it is filmed with a red one, so so the, I mean... Yeah, actually, we uh, upgraded to a 4K camera. Oh, did you? Yeah, we went oh, from my. 2K to 4K. I mean, they went from 2K <laughs> to 4K. So, there are, like we said, a lot of different choices out there, but let's focus on probably the, I would argue this is probably the, the most well-known name, and in the interest of full disclosure, uh, we're going to be talking about Netflix, and Netflix has been one of our sponsors in the past. They are one of our sponsors for tech stuff, but we're just going to talk about the the way that it works and how mm-hmm. it kind of started. So if you look all the way back to 1997, that's when the company Netflix formed. And at that time, it was just kind of an idea. It mm-hmm. hadn't even, there wasn't a business there yet. There was really kind of the paperwork. So right. it, it existed on paper. It wouldn't be until 1999 that they actually launched um, a subscription DVD mail to home Plan. Plan. Yeah, they, they were offering up rentals and sales in 98, but it was 99 when the famous subscription service came in. That idea where you would um, make up a list of DVDs that you were really excited about seeing, and then they would send you one, and it would sit on your coffee table for four months, and then you'd think, I never really got around to watching that, but I want to see the next thing on my list, and you send it back without ever watching it. Was that just me? No. Okay, good. I'm glad it wasn't just me. Um, I swear I'm going to see The Prestige one day. Oh, you should. I know. It's a terrific film. It sat on my coffee table for four months. And that's, a, that's, a, that's a shame. I know. I know. But anyway, they were strictly physical media at first. In right. fact, for most of their, their existence, if you look at the full timeline. Yeah, right? they didn't even debut their Watch Instantly feature until 2007. Right. And they did not provide um, unlimited streaming content until early 2008. Yeah, in 2007, it was incredibly limited. And even 2008, when you look at... Uh, this is one of those criticisms that are that is often leveled by by people at Netflix, which is, you know, I look at what you have available on your DVD list, and then I look at what you have available on your instant library list, and y'all, there's stuff I want to watch that just I I can't see on that instant side, and this right. is because there are some really complex deals going on in the back end between Netflix, which is a service provider, and the content creators that make the stuff. That are licensing this content to Netflix. So Netflix has to create, and this is the same with other services as well, they have to enter into these agreements with various content creators to be able to broadcast stuff over streaming. The same way that a cable channel would license TV content. Right. Yeah, in the case with the cable companies... Or very similar, anyway. Yeah, very similar. Yeah, in the case with the cable companies, they're looking at channels or bundles of channels. So, uh, but with, uh, you know, with Netflix, it might be, it might be a little more pick and choose. So instead of saying, 
I want everything that MTV produces uh, when it comes to their original content. I want every single show. It may be that uh, I want these five shows that MTV produces, but that's the only five. And the and in this case, those agreements can go through. They instead of a cable company where it's kind of an all or nothing proposition. Uh, services like Netflix can enter into these agreements where they get certain things, but not other things. And in some cases, it's not necessarily uh, to the benefit of Netflix. It might be that the, key, that the content creator says, you know, this is my best stuff and I want to make uh, my money going through the traditional broadcast or cable route and then make more money through DVD sales, whatever. Um, I don't want to provide this to your subscribers. So it's a very complicated dance that Netflix has to do every time it's trying to get more content. And Mm -hmm. obviously, from a consumer standpoint, you want there to be as much content in whichever service you are subscribing to. Uh, Also, to make matters even more complicated, there are issues about what kind of content can be shown where. So in other words, if I'm a Netflix customer in Canada the options I have are different than the ones I would have in the United States. If I were a a customer somewhere else in the world, um, I would have that same sort of issue, right? And that's, again, because all of these licensing agreements are are very conditional. Yeah. Some of them are conditionally regionally. Some of them are conditional based upon the type of equipment you're using to watch something on. Right. I I don't think Netflix has that issue as much, but we will will get into that with some of our other discussions. Uh, As of 2013, there are about 29.8 million Netflix subscribers in the U.S. and uh, another 7.6 million worldwide, um, which is which is up from 20 million at the start of 2011. So right. So and, you know, to another judge of uh, another way to judge how popular they are based upon not just from a subscriber account is how much traffic Netflix generates on the interwebs. Right. Um, supposedly, Netflix accounts for one third of streaming video on any given day. Yeah. Um, that's that's twice what YouTube does. Yeah. And keep in mind, YouTube. Now, YouTube is generating content at a crazy pace. We've talked about this. It's like 100 hours of content every minute. So every minute that goes by, another 100 hours worth of content gets added to YouTube. But if you're looking at actual traffic of people watching stuff, Netflix outstrips it three to one. Now, that might also be because a lot of the content on Netflix is long form and a lot of the content on YouTube is very short form. And uh, Netflix provides a lot more um, in HD. Yes, that's also true. So uh, in in other words, those file sizes are are bigger for multiple reasons, not only because they are longer, as in they last longer, like uh-huh. it's a 30-minute show or 22-minute or whatever. But it's a larger file to begin with. Exactly. Um, uh, as of November 2012, this accounted for about a third of all U.S. downstream traffic. Uh, yeah, this is... Uh, <laughs> it's also why a lot of Internet provider companies, ISPs... Are starting have, to talk about caps. Yeah, where they were like, especially initially when Netflix Instant was starting off. Now, back then, there weren't as many customers who were taking advantage of it. I would say that this is something that's really starting to explode over the last like maybe year or two. We've really seen it like take off. Before that, there were early adopters who were very enthusiastic about it, and then there were a few other people who were curious about it. And some people had it, uh, you know, added on as part of their DVD service, and so they tr- played with it once or twice. Um, now that one, I think one of the things Netflix did that they did really well was they got their app on as many different platforms as possible. It's one of the things that I thought 
This company is very savvy. They yeah. know what they're doing. They're on Xbox. They're on you know PlayStation. They're on Wii. They're on uh, you know computers. Mm-hmm. They allow telephone and and tablet use. Yeah. So smartphone anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So they yeah, <laughs> like to call up and listen to my favorite movies. Um, no, I, they really were very savvy. They got in front of as many eyeballs as possible. And that definitely helped a lot. Now, they um, haven't always been incredibly savvy. Back no. in back in 2011, you guys might remember, there was the entire Quickster debacle. Right. That's um, when uh, Netflix was just going to become streaming only, and a new company called Quickster would be all the DVDs. And and that was after another controversial thing where, where they were um, planning on, on splitting the DVD and streaming plans with like a 50% over 50% price hike right. to, to, to get both of them, um, which was still, I mean, because it had originally been like 10 bucks a month and it was going up to like 16 month, bucks a month if you were going to have both DVDs and streaming. And that one they did push through. It almost makes me think that they were joking about Quickster in order yeah. to make the other thing sound okay. I remember seeing Facebook explode when this happened and Twitter oh, sure. exploded too. Oh, yeah. I had friends who were uh, immediately and vociferously proclaiming that they would leave Netflix never to return. Forever. And burn the villages behind them and sow the ground with salt. Whereas I was thinking, like, guys, I think you might be overreacting. I'm like, th- sounds, heretic! That's, it sounds like $6. Um, yeah. well, uh, but, I mean, but I mean, the stock fell from over 300 bucks a share to, to under 100 And Reed Hastings, the CEO, the founder of Netflix, apologized publicly for it. He, you know, this is not something that happens very frequently where you have a CEO uh, offer up an apology. Right. I mean, Tim Cook did for Apple. That's like the only other one I can think of off the top of my head. So um, you've had, you know, we've, of course, seen stories about CEOs admitting that certain products in the company's past was a, were possibly a mistake or badly handled. But this was an outright apology to the public saying, mm-hmm. you know, guys, um, I was thinking it was a great idea. I, I clearly you guys feel differently. We are not going to do it. So don't worry. Yeah, but that was a that was a big strike against Netflix at that point when they tried to do the whole Netflix Quickster thing. Now, Netflix has made some pretty big deals. Not all of them are exclusive deals, I should say. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of the deals that they've made with uh, various content creators so that they can be allowed to show certain types of content on their channels right. or on their ser- service, I should say. Uh, one of them which was announced the day that we are, or I think two days before we actually record this podcast, is an exclusive deal. And that is that Netflix and the Weinstein Company, or Weinstein Company, depending on how you want to pronounce it, announced that uh, they are going to enter a multi-year premium pay TV window agreement in the United States starting in 2016, and that Netflix will become the, quote, exclusive U.S. subscription television service for first-run films from the Weinstein Company, end quote. So... This would include movies made uh, under TWC, the Weinstein Company, and also Dimension Films. And that would become available to Netflix members who are subscribed to Netflix. So the interesting thing here to me is that uh, it is exclusive. That means you're not going to find these same titles on the other services we'll be talking about a little bit later. Uh, now, that's not the only deal they've made recently. Uh, they made a big deal with Disney. Netflix Disney, and Disney. Pixar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, that agreement starts in 2017. We're talking long-term goals here, folks. Now, you might notice that there are some Disney titles that, that are, are on there right now. Right? right, which was part of this deal as well. But the a larger percentage of Disney films will be available beginning in 2017. Again, not necessarily exclusive, but they will be available on Netflix. Uh, and, and again, 
depending upon where you are. Right. Because right. uh, these the regional rules still are in effect here. Then you also have the deal Netflix made with DreamWorks. Now, that agreement begins in 2014, so that's a little earlier. Uh, and we I have already seen some DreamWorks stuff available there, too, but it's all kind of like their second or third tier titles, I would say, or sequels to movies that I, I, I like. I would watch this, but I haven't seen the first one and it's not available. Um, I'll have to wait till 2014, I suppose. Or get a DVD subscription. No, you're just talking crazy talk. All right. So Netflix, of course, is not the only one to make these deals, whether they're exclusive or not, in order to get content. That's kind of how the game is played. Right. Sure, sure. And, and, and a lot of it is is kind of being continually mixed up between these top three companies. There's yeah. there's like, for example, I think Amazon just stole Downton Abbey out from under Netflix. Right. Um, yeah. And, but uh, and, like, and I think, uh, for example, uh, Netflix had a deal with Viacom for a while and then they're letting the deal expire and they're not planning on renewing, renewing it. But other services are going to definitely work with Viacom. So right. it's it's going to change over time. But there's something else that all these companies are doing, too, right? Yeah. And and this is something that no one else certainly will have. And that is Netflix's original content. Yeah. Um, this is and this is kind of a big deal because, you know, up, up until up until 2012, um, none of these streaming service on demand companies were creating their own new stuff. Right. They were they were a pipe but they weren't creating any of the stuff that was in the pipe. They were mm-hmm. just giving access to it. Um, but uh, but as of February 2012, um, they, they offered a show called Lilyhammer, which was a co-production with a Norwegian producer, and not that many people in the United States have probably even heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty big in Norway. But House of Cards came out... I don't have a date on that. No, but well, House of Cards came out, I think, either... I think House of Cards came out late 2012. And that was the um, first um, U.S. kind of, uh, I'm not going to say blockbuster, but um, but but the per- first popular original show. Right. And keep in mind, this was a remake of a show that was made in the U.K., but the U.S. version had Kevin Spacey in the lead role. Mm-hmm. And that was a big win. Which is a big, a big deal. Win. Yeah. Sure. You know, you're talking about an award-winning film actor playing a part in a series that was doing something really different. Now, what Netflix was doing was not just producing this series, which would have been uh, remarkable all on its own, and then giving the exclusive look at the series to its members. You could not watch it anywhere else other than if you were to maybe buy the DVD set, which you can do. But they also offered up the entire series at one time. So instead of telling... So that, like you do, you can just, you know, crunch through the entire right, series you wanna, in a day or two. Yeah, if you want to just marathon it, you totally could, because... Or the first uh, season of it, anyway. Yeah, but, first season of it. Uh, so the, this was a big difference from the way we usually think of content. media, right. Because yeah, normally it's talking about something that's on a regular basis. It might be it's once serialized. It's, you know, yeah. Yeah. So Kevin Spacey actually had something to say about this. I've got a quote from him. Yeah. He says... I'm not going to do a Kevin Spacey uh, uh, impression. I appreciate that yeah. so much. Yeah, by the way, fantastic impressionist, Kevin Spacey. Anyway, so here's what he had to say. Clearly, the success of the Netflix model, releasing the entire season of House of Cards at once, proved one thing. The audience wants the control. They want the freedom. If they want to binge as they've been doing on House of Cards and lots of other shows, then we should let them binge. I can't tell you how many people have stopped me on the street and said, thanks, you suck three days out of my life. 
So, but I mean, that's, that's an example of how this model worked. And they, they, they followed that up with other examples like, uh, uh, Arrested Development season four. Yep. Which, by the way, uh, I marathoned when it came out. (laughs) Uh, Hemlock Grove. Which I did not watch. I have not watched any of that either. Um, Orange is the New Black, which which I am currently, I, I am only not watching it right now because, I, I don't even know why. I'm surprised that I don't have it on in the background. I just started watching it last night. It's so good, guys. See, that's it's so the thing good. Is that I've heard so many people tell me that's really, really good. I have not, I have not started to watch it, but uh, I've heard enough good things about it that I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot. It now. is, it is for mature audiences or for immature, mature audiences. However, <laughs> however you want to state that. Right, um, well, not for kids. Right, not for kids. Let's let's put it that way because I am not mature, and I thought you were just telling me that I couldn't watch the show. <laughs> um, uh, they've got upcoming shows from um, from Ricky Gervais, Derek, um, and Sense Eight from the Wachowski siblings. Ah, the Wachowskis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. So, you know, that's that's a big deal. That this idea, of not only getting these exclusive deals from other content creators, but to create your own content, they're you know, getting into this game. Uh, it's interesting also because the way Netflix generates revenue is through subscriptions, right? They don't, right. they don't have ads in their shows. And, uh, and we'll contrast that with some of the other stuff that we'll talk about in a little bit. So there are no ads and they're getting it mainly through subscriptions. And from what I can tell, Netflix does not really let anyone know how many people are watching any given title necessarily unless it's right. like a huge deal and they'll say like over x million people watch this one thing right they they they're being pretty uh, pretty under wraps about it yeah so that leads you to wonder is the content creation business working for Netflix is that is that adding to their bottom line are they getting more subscribers because of it i think that's what they're trying to figure out right now yeah. um you know they i i i read something that said that they could they could see themselves um doubling their current content output um in in the next couple of years and, and even going up to 20 pretty soon. Wow. And they're looking to get into uh, documentary production and stand-up specials, uh, yeah, even, even telenovelas, specials. which are um, Spanish soaps. Oh, Hodgman's Ragnarok was a Netflix exclusive. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, um, it was creative for them. They're, they're being compared uh, to, to HBO, Showtime, AMC, these big right. cable heavy hitters. Um, and uh, Ted Sarandos, the chief content officer, told GQ in February. The goal is to become HBO faster than HBO can become us. Wow. That's interesting. That's a really good point. Because, of course, HBO does have its own HBO Go service. Uh But you have to be a subscriber through a cable package in order to access it. Yeah, you have to be a double subscriber, right? You have to subscribe to cable and you have to have a cable subscription that includes HBO in the first place before you can have access Mm -hmm. to HBO Go. So, uh, but, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, and, and it's really interesting. I mean, you know, the, the production process, these shows are going from pitch to series with no pilots in advance. Yeah. Um, which is allowing Netflix to put money into projects that they really believe in rather than playing the odds game of throwing up a single expensive episode to see whether or not people like it. They can, right. they can really curate what they're putting out there. Yeah, it's interesting. And also because they don't have to sell it against ads, they don't have to worry about not getting support from, right. uh, from ad, from, from different uh, other companies, for example, for a show about women in prison that has a largely female cast and deals yeah. with a lot of gender issues. Yeah, that's something that you probably wouldn't see on a lot of uh, traditional cable companies. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. and and it's 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 paying off uh, in terms of of critical acclaim. They just got uh, fourteen Emmy nominations for original content. Yeah, and that's by the way, we should point out that the this year, this is the first time we're starting to see. Emmy nominations come go, up for these series yeah, for, for streaming video mm-hmm. for something that was not created by cable or broadcast. 
Hey guys, Jonathan from 2020 here. We're going to take a quick break, but we will be right back. All right, so we've covered Netflix from beginning to end thoroughly, I think. Let's uh, let's move on to a different one. Let's talk about Hulu and Hulu Plus. All right, so um, so Hulu period uh, and not Hulu Plus launched in 2008. It was a, it was a joint effort from NBC Universal and at that point um, News Corporation, uh, you know Murdoch's uh, Fox, yeah, Fox Corporation, yeah, exactly. Um, which which was interesting in and of itself that these two major cable pro- cable providers were playing nice. Yeah, we're joining forces mm-hmm. to create something interesting, um, perhaps sinister. <laughs> I don't know. You watch those Alec Baldwin spots where he would. He was convincing everyone that Hulu uh-huh. was really just a front for aliens to take over. And I'm like, how is this supposed to sell me on watching? I mean, I'm going to because now I got to find out what happens in these commercials. But oh, right, right. Yeah, no, uh, the, the commercials with him and uh, Eliza Dukeshu did, did yeah, a bunch yeah, of them, yeah, too. Yeah. Um, those are great. Uh, Hulu Plus launched in 2010, and that was the subs- subscription based end. Now, what's one thing that sets the Hulu and Hulu Plus apart from Netflix is unlike Netflix uh, Hulu content is ad supported, right? Right. Um, and the, the deals that they make with the content providers, um, some of them are for, for a straight licensing fee. Some of them are strictly ad revenue based and some of them are kind of a sticky gray area. Yeah. So it, this gets super complicated just in one, uh, example here. So we're, you've got, you've got shows that are, uh, that have ad breaks in them, whether it's in the subscription one or just the free version, the Hulu one. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I, I believe that all content has ads in it, whether or not the content creator gets a share of the ads is the question. Gotcha. So that's that's very that's that's very interesting all on its own. And then uh, uh, on top of that, you know, you have deals with content creators that are different than the ones from the other two. Like they're they're they have access to some content that the other companies do not have access to. Sure. And and Hulu is um if, if you're unfamiliar with the service is um as as opposed to Netflix which has prior seasons that have perhaps gone to DVD as right. an analog or um or films. Hulu does have a category of films but is is I think most of its traffic is from currently airing seasons of television, either either the entire current season to date or maybe the past five yeah. episodes, depending on what, again, what the licensing right. contract so, is. So, for example, a typical television show in the United States that also is carried on Hulu, the a couple of days after it airs on television, that episode could become available on Hulu, and you might be able to watch as many as the last five for a lot of them. Right. So let's say that I'm following, you know, X television show and I missed the last two episodes because I was out of town. I could go on Hulu and catch up and and what and, you know, be back up to speed. Mm-hmm. So or if you don't have a cable subscription at all. And yeah, you could just watch it that way uh-huh. and just tell all your friends to not talk about the show for a couple of days so that it gives you a chance to catch up. Right. Um, and if your friends are like mine, they will be happy to post lots of fake spoilers on your Facebook. The stuff that never happens, but that's okay. <laughs> so, uh, but also like Netflix, and besides the these deals that are being made for content, Hulu is also in the content creation uh, business as well as uh, you know 
we could talk about some of the exclusives and some of the uh, originals as well. I guess uh, some of the exclusives they have, a lot of their exclusives are from other countries. Uh, right. Uh, almost five, five or six percent of its content are these exclusive international television shows. Um, for example, uh, Misfits or Pramface. Uh, there's a Canadian drama called The Booth at the End. It helped fund production for BBC's The Thick of It. There's a whole bunch of Korean language dramas up there. And and this is all because sometimes those international license fees can be cheaper depending on what they are. Um, and, and it's also, you know, it's it's really smart for on the content provider end because I, I, I subscribed to Hulu Plus because I could get Misfits. Mm. I wanted that show. That was the only place I could get that show other than ordering the DVDs. And so I, I did it. See, I, I, the only two titles I even recognized on their exclusive list that I, I was just kind of, I was glancing at mm-hmm. like a layout of a bunch of their exclusives. Sure. The only two titles I recognized were Misfits, uh, because you've talked about it before, mm-hmm. and Moon Boy. And Moon Boy, because it has Chris O'Dowd in it, it okay. was in the IT crowd. <laughs> so I, I knew about those. Right. Chris O'Dowd plays the imaginary friend of a little boy. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's great, you know? Fantastic stuff. But that was produced in the UK and, uh, and Hulu is the, the exclusive provider, you know, provider of it of in, it the, in US. the United States. Right. So yeah, uh, beyond that, they also are creating their own content, including stuff like, uh, The Awesomes, which is a, a superhero comedy cartoon series. Right, right. They, um, they began production of original stuff in August of 2011. Um, their, their first show was an interview series, uh, by Morgan Spurlock. Um, Early 2012 is when they greenlit their first scripted show, Battleground. And I think that they are also kind of trying to figure out where this original content is going to fit into their business model. They're, they're kind of waiting to see, you know, whether people will bite and how well it will do. And since they are ad based, how that's going to affect everything. Not to mention the fact that they are a branch of companies that are producing content on their own for other Platforms, right, right, because so, they their owned uh, ABC Disney is also part owner right. of them at this point, and so, so yeah, how do you how do if you if you're creating content that's in direct competition to exactly. your owner's content? Yeah, that's, that's a problem, right? Squiggly. You're talking about because now you're talking about they 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 could come up with an idea of saying, well, yeah, we can create this for Hulu, but why don't we create it for a different channel instead if we have that option? Sure. Or maybe they even start using Hulu as a testing ground for stuff that they decide to then appropriate for television. We don't know because it's so early on mm-hmm. with this experiment, really, yeah. for Hulu. But it is a little more complicated than Netflix. Netflix is its own independent company that is not beholden in this way to content creators. They're beholden in an entirely different way. Like they'll come to a content creator and say, I want that show. And they say, you do not get this show because we want this show to go somewhere else, not you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And that's, that's another interesting thing is that there's a lot of power struggles going on in this entertainment world. No one wants any of these services to become the dominant one because then that service has leverage over the content creators. Mm-hmm. So it's a constant chess battle, right, to see who is going to be the one who has the advantage mm-hmm. in these negotiations. Yeah, this is part of why uh, if, if, if you've tried to subscribe to Hulu, you may have noticed that you cannot transfer all shows from your television box to your laptop to your iPad. Um, yeah, you, you might have limitations. It may be that certain shows you can only watch if you're watching it streaming to your TV. Because some some content providers have said, nope, 
Yeah, no thanks. No thanks. I don't want that on a tablet. Yeah, you can't watch that when you're on the the train or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or driving to work. Don't watch TV while you're driving to work. Don't don't do that. Never um, do that. So so Hulu, as of April 2013, had uh, four million subscribers, which is is has doubled in the past year. It's still pretty shy of the 30 million in the U.S. that Netflix has. But it's growing. It's Jonathan from 2020 again. We're going to take another quick break, and then we'll be back to talk more about streaming video. All right, so that's Hulu Plus and Hulu. We've we've covered that. That leaves the other of the big three, and that's Amazon. And Amazon, again, like all three of these are very different from each other. They have different approaches to the way that they handle content. They have different approaches to the way that they handle revenue. Uh, with Amazon Prime Instant Video, uh, there are a couple of different things. Like you, you can have actual access to a certain portion of their television shows and movies that are available if you're an Amazon Prime member. That's a subscription-based service that goes beyond just instant video. Right, right. It's not the same subscription that you would get just for Hulu Plus or just for Netflix. This is tied into its other Amazon Prime shenanigans where, you know, you get free or discounted shipping and all... And and discounts on certain goods and services. And and can borrow Kindle books, stuff like that. Um, so, it's, uh, so it's wrapped, a lot is wrapped up into it is what we're getting at. Yeah, yeah, which is, which is, uh, I think somewhere around 75 bucks a year. At yeah, this I think point. it's 79 total. So okay. when you, when you look at it, it actually ends up being a little cheaper than some of the other services on a monthly basis. Uh, so, so in the, in the United States anyway, it's 79 per, per year. Sure. So, so Amazon, Amazon Prime Instant Video launched in February 2011. And, you know, you, you can also use it to rent or buy titles separately. Right. So there are some titles that are available for free viewing once mm-hmm. you have this About this About 40,000 movies and television episodes are available with the prescription. Um, subscription. Subscription. Why can't I say that word today? Um, and, and about uh, something over 150,000 titles are available f- per... Yeah, if you want to actually purchase stuff or rent stuff. Sure. Yeah, and I've done, I've done both. I rented uh, titles through Amazon... Instant, and I've purchased titles on Amazon Instant. So, um, and and the way it works is if you're renting it, if you have, you know, you obviously need to watch it on something. You could watch it on a computer or a tablet, or in my case, I'm using a, a video game console and I'm watching it through there. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you rent it, essentially, once you start watching it, the 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 timer's on, and you have a certain amount of time to watch it before a day or two, it, yeah, sure. before it gets uh, deleted from your your devices drive and you don't get to watch it anymore. Mm-hmm. If you buy it, of course, it stays in the cloud and you have the access to it on whatever device. As long as you're signed in as you, you can watch the the programming. Right. Um, they, they also have exclusive deals. Like I mentioned earlier, they had Nab, Downton Abbey from Netflix, and they're starting something with Viacom. They've invested in a CBS show called Under the Dome um, yeah. in exchange for a digital distribution They've got exclusive rights to digitally distribute the show four days after it airs on network TV. Yeah, so this is similar to kind of the way Hulu does things with some of their shows, right? Where right. Where it airs on television, and then within a certain amount of time afterward, depending upon the agreement, Hulu can then show it on their service. This is the same thing, but on Amazon. Uh, Under the Dome is based off a Stephen King story. Right, right. They are also producing their own original content. Say what? Say what? Yeah, yeah, yeah true fact. Um, as of May 2012, in fact, they unveiled Amazon Studios and started collecting scripts from the public. They, yeah, they, they, they opened up... 
the process. And we're just like, if you've got a good script, send it to yeah, us. Pit, if you have a pitch, pitch it to us. And this is this is incredible. It does. I mean, it means that you're going to get a lot of stuff, right? You're going to get a lot of stuff that's not ever going to be producible. It's just going to be things you, you read this and like. This might have been an interesting idea, but it's a terrible script. Or this is a good script, but it's boring. Sure. You know. And uh, they, they took a certain number of those and and filmed pilots of them. Yes. And in 2013, put those pilots online and didn't use exclusively user feedback, but... but Took that into account. Took that into account. Yeah. They, they, they let the members of Amazon Prime watch them and help decide what they wanted to see proceed to a series. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a democratization of content creation, sort of like what you would see if someone were to pitch a series on, say, a Kickstarter. People pitched it. They shot the pilots. They showed them off. Uh, and some of them are now going to become actual series that will be available probably late 2013. I, I saw that in the fall of 2013 is when we can expect to see the first episodes of some of these shows. Right. As of August, they had uh, Alpha House and also Betas. Wait, 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 wait. So they've got Alpha House and they have a show called Betas? I actually just got that. That's pretty silly. Well, how um, did that happen? <laughs> and these are two different shows. It's not Alpha House and Betas. It's Alpha House and then there's another series called Betas. I, I guess the last show we'll ever see will be Omega. That'll be the last show that Amazon ever makes. And they've also got three children's series in production, the yes, names of do. which I do not have in front of me. They were looking specifically for comedies and kids shows. Well, yeah. And, and if you if you look at the different series, a lot of them have focused, especially recently, on on children's programming. Uh, on, on, on comedy and children's programming. Yeah. Those, like Amazon's, Amazon's deal with Viacom is largely uh, based on children's programming from things like Nickelodeon. Uh, Netflix has a, an entire section that's just, like they had Netflix for kids that they launched where you could create a little uh, sub-profile right. mm-hmm. for your children so that they could easily find content from everyone from Disney to, to Nickelodeon to, I think Nickelodeon, maybe Nickelodeon didn't have anything. Viacom and Netflix did have a deal, but like we said, they are letting that deal uh, 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 end and they're not renewing. And also have, you know, less of the um, more colorful content pop up in your kids' video streams. Yeah. Yes, yes. You don't have to worry about, uh, say, the Hellraiser series. Showing up in sequence right. on there. I've been working my way through them, and my pain is delicious. So anyway, um, <laughs> yes, I just killed Lauren there. But yeah, the, again, so we, we're seeing some more of these exclusive deals. We're seeing some more of this uh, this specific content created for the platform. I love what Amazon is doing here as far as creating a production studio and making it this uh, opportunity for people who... Wouldn't make, necessarily have a voice otherwise. Right. They they would have no way of getting into the industry. And now there's a chance for them to actually create something that could end up leading to a long career. And, you know, who knows? Maybe the next fantastic storyteller, maybe the next Joss Whedon is in this group. And we can look forward to having his or her scripts produced and canceled mid-season. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully this entire this entire um Strategy is going to avoid having things like, like cancellations mid-season. See, that's the other thing is that because of this approach, 
you no longer have excuses like a network moving a, a show around in a lineup over right. and over again. That now lineups mean nothing, mm-hmm. right? And, the, and you, you can also produce more than twenty four hours a day of content, yep. or way less yep. if, if that's what you want to do, or if that's what you have money to do. Right, and you can produce far more diverse content, and uh, and not have to worry about catering to a specific audience with a bunch of themed content. So that's one of the things we've seen with cable channels uh, where they struggle. They, they create an identity for themselves where they create very specific st- types of content that are meant for a particular audience. But then they grow as far as they can within that niche audience. And to grow further means that they have to go outside that definition. Sci-fi. So... Uh, you know, this is something that they don't, these, these companies don't necessarily have that problem. They can experiment with doing stuff. You know, we've seen with Netflix making drama and making horror, as well mm-hmm. as making comedy with the fourth season of Arrested Development. Amazon's doing it with children's programming and this, this alpha and beta stuff. Uh, Hulu has got its own approach. It's, I'm really excited about this because, I mean, I love stories. And I love the idea of people who otherwise would not have had this content produced having this shot. I think it's really a a great moment for someone who is interested in consuming entertainment as well as people who want to produce it. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't have a number for the for for prime members like like I did for for Hulu and Netflix because Amazon doesn't disclose that. No, they just say millions. Yep. It's in the millions. Is it Um, lots? A bunch. Uh, I, I do think it's pretty interesting that uh, Netflix transitioned its site to Amazon's cloud servers in 2010. Yeah. So. Well, you know, Amazon definitely does do the provide resources to other companies. That's one one of their biggest businesses that doesn't have anything to do with the general consumer. I mean, when it comes down to a business deal, I can totally see them going. All right, you know, we're competing against you, but if you're going to give us money, that works. Um. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting, too. I see that uh, one of the other notes you have here is about how Amazon is expected to spend a billion dollars acquiring rights to programming to show on their instant, which is half of what Netflix is spending. Which is so much money. Two billion dollars, folks. That's just to get the content. See, so when you're complaining, and when I say you, I'm including myself in this, when you're complaining that the show you really want to watch is not available online... Think of how much money these companies are having to pay in just to get the this get that content, content for you, right? You know, and it's because there's this complicated relationship between the content creators and also cable companies and their relationship to content creators. That's one of the reasons why you're not going to find HBO in any of these for the time being. HBO's deal because they're tied down. Yeah, HBO's deal with cable companies is so important and so lucrative that in order for HBO to break out of that and leave the exclusivity of these cable deals would mean that we would have to have an astronomically good deal for HBO on streaming because otherwise they're just losing money and you don't go into a business to lose money, I would hope. (laughs) I mean, it might happen to you, but that's not why you get into business. Hypothetically not. Unless Unless you're you're the producers. Economic, uh, or or the producers. I was going to say an economic masochist, but... Yeah, maybe if you're, if you're, if you're just trying to raise backing money and then immediately tank the company so that you can keep the backing money, you are not ethical, but you're also not really going into business. 
I hope you guys enjoyed that classic episode about videos in the stream. If you have suggestions for future topics I should cover on the show, reach out to me. You can do so on Twitter or Facebook. The handle at both of those is techstuffhsw, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 